0: So um, in Sunday school this morning, we talked about <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about Jesus' ministry in Nazareth and how um, Nazareth rejected his message and that he wasn't able to do mighty works in that town so and I promised the uh, the Sunday school class that I would tell them why jesus didn't do any Miracles in Nazareth, so we're going to get to that. But first, let me read real quick um, what happened after he left Nazareth. Um, it starts in Matthew chapter four and verse thirteen. He sa- "It says he left Nazareth behind and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali." This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah: "Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali." along the sea road beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. Now if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We'll read our text, which is the basis for the sermon today. And it starts in verse 20. It says, Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done, "'Because they did not repent. "'Woe to you, Chorazin. "'Woe to you, Bethsaida. "'For if the miracles that were done in you "'had been done in Tyre and Sidon, "'they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. "'But I tell you, it will be more tolerable "'for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. "'And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven. "'No, will you be exalted to heaven? "'You will go down to Hades.' For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we confess that there are are things that we don't know. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit this morning would teach us. Father, help me as I um, preach your word. Father, I ask that you would um, help me to remember the things that that I uh, studied, Father, help me to say the things that need to be said, Father, help us all uh, respond, Father, with hearts that are tender, Father, that our lives might be changed and we would be better able to go out and to give glory and honor to your son, Jesus Christ, out in the world. We ask these things for his sake, amen. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about each one of these cities real quick. So um, the first city that we come to is called Carazin. Correct? I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'm pronouncing it Carazin. So um, it was it was a town that was close to um, to Capernaum. Not a whole lot is know about, known about it. Um, the main thing that I would want you to know about this town, though, is that nobody knows where it is, where it was. They just don't know. They have several possibilities, but nobody can really pinpoint. Yes, this is where it was. All right, so um, Bethsaida, the name of that means um, house of fishing. Anytime you see the word Beth in the Bible, it means house of something. So that uh, Bethlehem means house of bread, or, or is it Bethel that means house? No, Bethel means house of God. Beth, L, L for God. Bethlehem means house of bread. This means house of fishing. Okay? Now, would it surprise you to learn that Peter and Andrew and probably James and John all came from this town? House of fishing. That's where they lived. This is where Jesus called them, called them from this town to follow him. So... Um, I believe Philip was also from this town. I'm not real sure on that, but I think he was from, um, from Bethsaida as well. Um, so there are some miracles in the Bible that were recorded that were done in Bethsaida. Um, then I'm going to talk about Capernaum. Capernaum was the place where Jesus went to after he left Nazareth. He spent quite a bit of time there, and if you read through the scriptures, you'll find out he healed a blind man there, he healed a paralytic man there, he um, um, raised a girl from death there, I believe, He, he healed a girl. He did a lot of miracles in Capernaum. I mean, the scripture records miracle after miracle after miracle that Jesus performed in Capernaum. And also, in this entire region, he spent a lot of time, and so he did a lot of miracles there. In fact, it was in the hills just beyond Bethsaida that he performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So, and I think he did it twice, possibly in the same place. So um, you would think that with Jesus doing all of these miracles, that there would be a, a great response. And there was. I mean, people came out to see him do his miracles, and they came out to be fed, but there was a problem. So now Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities. Sidon had a natural harbor, and for many years it became wealthy because of this natural harbor. Um, the, I think it was the Assyrians came in and destroyed it, and then Tyre took over that business from them. In fact, uh, in, um, in David, during his time, did trade with Hiram of Tyre. Um, he was the one that gave uh, David all of the gold and the silver and the, all right, the trees, to build the temple. And he actually furnished the guy to come down and actually oversee the work of building the temple. So there's, so uh, Tyre and Israel have a long history together. Um, Hiram, um, at the time that he was the leader there, built, uh, he had an uh, island that was there, um, actually five or six islands. He, he made them into one island. He built a fortress there and then he built, um, a harbor, kind of like what we have out here, um, a fake, <clears throat> not a fake, a man-made harbor. And it was huge. Um, something like 200 yards and on one direction and about 200 on the other direction. Had two sides to it. It encompassed just a huge amount of area. They did a, um, a business in selling purple dye and they scoured the world for this purple dye. They have found evidence up on the Island of Wight, which is up near England, W-I-G-H-T, it's up near England, evidence that the um, Tyrrhenians had been there looking for this mollusk that they used to make this pu- purple dye. So these people were not just fly-by-night folks, but um, several times... People, um, other other nations came in and conquered them, and so they dwindled down and dwindled down until now. Um, today, Sidon and Tyre are both. They're still there. They have people living in them. Um, they are not known by those names anymore, but there's still people there living there. Um, Capernaum was also a fishing village. Um, we don't know where it is. There's two possible sites, but neither site actually fits all the criteria that the Bible expounds as to what, who, where Capernaum should be. So they don't know where Capernaum is. They don't know where Bethsaida is. They don't know where Chorazin is. Um, so um, Jesus pronounces a woe on Chorazin and a woe on Bethsaida. Now, you might ask me, what does the word woe mean? Well, let me take you back to Matthew during the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed is the man. Those are people that God is going to bless. A woe is the opposite of that. Whenever you read the word woe, that's something that God is going to curse. So when you, hear, when you see the word woe, yada woe, stop. And take note of what's being said there because it's probably important because it's a way for you to keep from getting God's curse. So, and what is God's curse? Well, when you stand in the judgment, you will receive God's curse. Um, So Jesus says that if the works and miracles that had been done in Chorazin and Bethsaida had been done in Tyre and Sidon, that they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. So what is, he talk, what is he saying there? He's saying these Gentiles over here, if they had witnessed the same thing that you have seen, they would have repented. Now, that brings up another question. What does the word repent mean? The word repent means that you change your mind about something. And not only do you change your mind about something, when you change your mind, that that change of mind results in actions that match what you changed your mind to. Okay? So, um, these people here in Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum all said they believed in God. All said they were following God. All said they were looking for the Messiah. But when Jesus shows up and he does his miracles, they continue living just as they had before. So, now, I would say that was foolish. To see the Messiah asking you to repent, but you keep living the same way. And not only does he ask you to repent, but he does mighty works to prove who he is. So here's Jesus doing these mighty works, proving to them that he is the Messiah and he's preaching to them the gospel of the kingdom, which is uh, repent for the kingdom of God is, is near, and they're not making any changes in the way they live. They're continuing to live the same way that they had been. You know, in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, it says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And many times... In our society, I have heard Christians talk to atheists and say, you know, you're a fool for not believing in God. And that may be true, that they're foolish for not believing in God, because just look around at it. Where did all of this come from? Why are we the way that we are? If there was no God, there's, I don't see another explanation other than there being a God. So... But on the other hand, who's more foolish? The atheist who's living how he wants to and not believing in God or the person who says he believes in God and still living any which way he wants to. Not doing the things that God requires. Not living the way God wants them to live. Not consulting God before they make decisions. I would say that the person who 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 believes in God and is not doing as God says is more foolish than the atheist who doesn't believe in God and a lot of times is living a more moral life than the person that believes in God, I'll tell you. And that's the truth. There's a lot of atheists out there that are doing a lot better than a lot of Christians out there. I'll just tell you that straight up. And they have a better sense of justice than a lot of Christians do. So, um, So Jesus wanted them to repent. He wanted them to have a change. Um, Sodom no longer exists, but you know there's still a few villages in the area. It's still there. People still live there. Bethsaida, Chorazin, and um, um, uh, Capernaum, nobody's living there anymore. There's nobody that lives there. Nobody remembers even where those places are. So that tells you, number one, the the impact that their disbelief had on them at that time. But there's also something else coming along that you need to be aware of, and that is the day of judgment that's talked about here. So one day, all of us, Everyone on the earth will stand before God to give an account for what we have done in this life. We are all sinners. And when we stand before God, he will have no choice but to send us to hell unless we have repented and believed in what Jesus Christ did for us. Whenever we admit our sins, And we say in our hearts that, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins and that he rose on the third day. And we repent and have a change of heart and begin to do things the way God wants us to do it rather than the way that we want to do it. That's when salvation comes to our house. That's, that's when repentance has truly taken place. Repentance will always result in a change of behavior. If somebody tells you I've repented and I have faith in God, but they're living, I don't know if I believe believe them, if they're living just like, you know, the rest of the world is. I don't know if I believe that. There ought to be a change in your behavior. There ought to be things that you do that are different than the world if you have come to faith in Christ. So, um, you know... In the book of James, it says the demons believe and they tremble. So what's the difference between the belief that a demon has in God and that Jesus Christ came and did the things that he did and the belief that a Christian has that has come to faith in Christ? What's the difference there? The difference is that the Christian allows God to be in control of his life, whereas a demon's not going to do that. The demon is not going to allow God to have control of his life. The demon is not going to allow God to tell him what to do. He's going to go about doing his own thing. Now, does he do his own thing all the time? He can only do the things that God lets him do. But, But that's the difference. So we can't just walk around saying we believe in Jesus and not have a change in our lifestyle. Not have a a change in the way that we feel about our fellow human being, fellow humans. Um, Not have a change in how we treat our families. Not have a change in um, what we do when the the church comes together to meet. Are we there? We should be, because that's where we grow. If If you're not attending church on a regular basis, you're not growing. I'll just tell you that straight up. If you have friends and neighbors... You say they're Christians who are not in church, you need to get them here because they're not going to grow unless they come to church, unless they meet together with the family. So now I understand that there are folks that have to work on Sundays, um, nurses, teachers, retail workers, food service workers. There's lots of people out here that work on Sundays that are scheduled every Sunday. But we, as fellow Christians, should be alongside of them saying, hey, you know what? You know what I heard in church the other day? And share with them what you heard in church. Have that fellowship with them so that they can grow, so that they're not left stagnant. You know what happens to a coal that's taken out of the fire? It dies. You know how it gets hot again? Get Put it back in the fire. So... So when is is the time that we should answer God's call for belief? It's today. Today is the day of salvation. Um, In the book of Hebrews, it says, um, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, tomorrow is not promised to us. And that by the same token, we know the truth, but unless we're communicating that truth to the folks out there, they can't respond to it. They cannot respond to a gospel that they have never heard. So it's up to us. God has elected, he's commissioned us to go out and share the gospel with our friends, our family, our neighbors, with those that we meet every day at at the grocery store, uh, waiters, waitresses, the guy that takes your money at the service station, those are all possible people that you could develop a relationship with and share the gospel with them. I know a guy who decided that he was going to buy his gas at the same service station every time so that he could develop relationships with the folks that were inside. So it didn't matter if it went up 10 cents or went down 15, he still bought his gas at the same service station because... he wanted to develop that relationship and share the gospel with those folks that were working there. And we can all do stuff like that. But will we? See, that, that goes back to that repentance thing again. See, there's a lot of stuff that that even Christians need to repent for. We need to repent for having hard, hard hearts towards our friends and our neighbors, not sharing the gospel with them. And we need to repent for not praying because we don't pray enough, folks. If we did, there would be more people here. Um, we need to repent for not reading this word. A lot of people gave their lives so that we could have this in print so that we could read it and know it and understand it so that it could speak to us, speak into our lives and change us to into what God wants us to be. So those are some things to to think about i think now we're going to see.